Oh, good morning. You know, he made that same joke at 9 a.m., and I think somebody clocked me at like just over 16 minutes. So it was short and sweet and to the point. In all seriousness, um, it's hard to uh, fit into less than a 50-minute sermon uh, what the Lord has done in your life. So um, I'm going to be preaching from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, um, and I know you're already thinking the youth pastor's first time preaching here, and he's going to the Old Testament. This is weird, but I feel like it'll have some great application for us, and I feel like uh, my story kind of mirrors um, the verses and the whole book that we're going to be reading through. So as you're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, um, if you're not familiar with it or um, maybe, you know, just to jog your memory a little bit, um, King Solomon is the author of this book. And the Bible says he was the wisest and richest man to ever walk the earth. Um, that's quite a compliment. And basically what he's doing uh, in all his wisdom and, and all his wealth uh, is he's trying to find happiness. And so he goes through several different things trying to find happiness. And uh, there's actually quite a bit. You can imagine the richest person on earth having anything at their disposal. But just for the sake of time um, and not to preach 50 minutes, I'm going to read uh, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So uh, here King Solomon says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So um, basically, even just in a quick snapshot, we see some of the things that he is trying to find happiness in, and he concludes that it was all vanity. It left him feeling empty. Um, you know, there's a funny story. Shortly after me and my wife uh, were married, we went to a marriage conference in Tampa. It's called A Weekend to Remember. Um, great conference, but the idea of it is you go for about three nights, and they give you some biblical principles and, and really just teach you how to grow in your marriage together. And uh, one of the cool things is the second night, they actually turn you loose uh, around 3 p.m., and you have the rest of the night to have a date night. So you can do whatever you want. And so um, we were on Yelp just looking at cool restaurants that we normally don't get to go to, and uh, we came across, I don't remember the name of it, um, but it was a really cool restaurant. The menu looked amazing, and we called, made a reservation. So we drive there. It was only about 15 minutes away, and um, we get there, and it was really cool. It had, like, folk art, like, decor all over the walls. It was really unique and neat, and so uh, the hostess walks us up to the balcony that oversees the rest of the restaurant. That's where we were seated. It was really cool, and uh, my wife orders this salad, and I don't know, it's still the best salad you've ever had. So she said it was the best salad she's ever had, and she nodded her head, yes, it still is. So she was just like, oh, this is so good. And so the waitress is talking to her, and she's like, that's my favorite one. I eat that salad like every shift. It's so amazing. And mind you, it has been about several hours since I have eaten lunch. And we've been in a marriage conference session all day. I've been waiting to eat dinner, so uh, I'm very hungry at this point. And so uh, my wife and the waitress are just going bonkers over the salad, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm rubbing my hands together. Like, Here we go, right? I'm going to have a great meal. So I ordered some type of fancy burger, um, and it had, like, seasoned, 
potato wedges as the side, and so I'm, I'm ready to like just tear it up. I'm starving, my stomach's growling. The waitress walks out, she sets the plate down before me, and um, I don't think I'm exaggerating this for the sake of the sermon, but there was like three potato wedges that were about that big. And they were like crossed, so it looked kind of cute. But um, before I could even say anything, my wife, I think she's like, oh no. She's like, I, I already know what's going through your head. And so the waitress comes back over and I said, hey, um, something to the extent, I hope I was more graceful than maybe I'm telling in this story. But I said, uh, I thought my, my food came with a side. It looks like it came with a garnish. Um, what Can you go, what's the deal? And uh, my wife was like, yeah, there's only like three fries there. Like, and so, um, you know, not to be mean, I don't know how else to describe this restaurant, but it was kind of like a hippie vibe. So the waitress looks at the plate, looks up at me, and she's like, yeah, that's pretty weak. That's it. <laughs> not, hey, let me go make that correct for you, sir. Let me uh, go talk to the kitchen. Let me get my manager anything, right? I would have taken anything, and nothing happened. And so uh, I left that restaurant. My wife had a delicious salad and was filled up. I left there um, probably hangrier than uh, when I walked in, and I was feeling empty, right? And so as silly as that story sounds, is that's kind of what Solomon is working through in this. He has this hunger. He has this void in him that he's like, I need the next thing, the next shiny toy to fill it. And so just as I went into that restaurant expecting an amazing five-star meal with adult-sized portions, I didn't get that. So I left feeling empty, right? And so this is what Solomon is kind of concluding throughout this story is that um, he's trying X, Y, and Z. And actually, I just read you literally like the tip of the iceberg. He tries everything you can imagine to find happiness. And yet he concludes it's all vanity. And so... Um, for the sake of time, and just because nothing crazy happened in my childhood, um, you know, I grew up with a big family, and nothing crazy happened as a teenager. Um, really where I pick up my story and where the Lord began to work, um, I was 24 years old. Um, I'd been in a relationship for almost five years. We had two um, daughters together, and that relationship ended. And so for me, that was where I really feel like I... I feel like this void, this emptiness that Solomon is talking about and that he's trying to fill, that was the first time in my life where it really hit me. And so, like Solomon, looking for something to fill it, I said, you know what, I live about two hours from home, let me move back home, I'll connect with all my high school friends, um, I'm an extrovert, they'll, they love me, they'll encourage me, like I'll just be around people that love me and it'll be great. So I moved back, moved in with uh, my roommate, was my best friend from high school, and I really still just felt that void. So then my next great idea to try to fill that void, like with Solomon, um, was my job. Now, um, I made really good money for somebody who just had a high school education. Um, I wasn't Solomon wealthy, so if you see me after service, I can't give you a loan or anything crazy like that. But for a 24-year-old with nothing more than a high school diploma, I made pretty good money, but it really came at a cost. Um, I worked uh, Monday through Friday. I averaged about 18 hours uh, a shift and uh, what's even more worse than that is where I worked there was about an hour and 15 minute drive on the interstate to get to this job and the job was I drove this really big 26 foot box truck that was negative 20 degrees and I had frozen pizza and ice cream all in the back of it delivering it to all these grocery stores so kind of my life for this six month period was I'd wake up at 2 30 get to work at 4, work until about 8.39, and then get home at 10, 10.30, and then sleep for three and a half hours and do it all over again. 
And so um, this was the unhealthy cycle I was going through, but my job was everything, right? I made money. Like I was like, I'm going to have a nice car. I'm going to buy a house. I'll be the fun dad. I can take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese every weekend, right? This is, this is going to do it for me until um, one night I was driving home uh, on 95. I was on 95 North, getting close to Daytona, and uh, something just really fell off. Um, it's, it's honestly hard to describe in words for you. Um, I wasn't nauseous. I didn't feel like I was having like chest pain. It was just, it was just like the batteries were like running out, like something was off. And so I knew something was wrong. So I pulled over and um, I did the responsible thing. When you're driving a vehicle on the interstate and you don't feel well, you pull over and you call your mom. So that's what I did. So I said, hey mom, uh, something's wrong. I don't feel good. You know, um, I'm sure she appreciated that I loved her enough to think of her and call her, but she said, hey, son, I love you, but you're an idiot. Please hang up and call an ambulance immediately. Now I'm super worried because you called me first. Um, but an ambulance came, picked me up. Uh, I spent, because of, you know, some complications with being a type 1 diabetic, I spent about five days in the ICU. And um, really, the doctor came in, and I don't, I, I still to this day don't even think I had a diagnosis, but um, he pretty much leveled with me and said, hey, you can't keep doing this. Number one is a diabetic, but number two, you're sleeping three and a half hours a night. You're drinking way too much caffeine. He's like, you're, you're going to really either hurt yourself or just die if you keep this up. And so at that moment, that was like another rock bottom moment, right? Because I'm like, this job is everything. This is how I provide for my family. This is where my identity lies. And so to think anybody tell me I had to give that up, even to the point of seriously getting injured, I said, I'm not going to do that. So I kept working. And um, luckily for me, two months later, um, I worked an 18-hour shift, came in the next day and worked, and the regional manager was at the warehouse waiting for me. So, you know, I know it doesn't mean anything to y'all, but to him it was like, ooh, the regional manager's here, right? The big shot. He doesn't just make appearances for anybody, right? It was a special treat. So he uh, showed up, he sat me down and said, hey, we know you, um, you worked 18 hours yesterday, and we're really appreciative of that. He didn't say that at all. I'm making it up to try to make him seem like a nice guy because he wasn't. Um, but he said, hey, we know that you did a lot of stops yesterday, but you missed one. Um, there's a Dollar General. Didn't get their ice cream, and they're not happy about it. Um, you know, our company, we don't miss stops, and you know that. So we're going to have to suspend you for a week. And on Monday, the HR lady from Atlanta, she'll call you. She'll figure out what our next steps are, but you're suspended. So such a nice guy that he waited until after I worked 18 hours a day again that day to do all the deliveries for him to then tell me I was suspended so um, to be honest I don't remember much about that week but what I distinctly remember is sitting in my room on Monday and I believe Tuesday several times um, the Atlanta area code called me it was the HR manager and um, I saw it looked at my phone and I never answered the phone I just I knew I'd come to the end of myself like I can't do this anymore and it's even if I can or I want to it's not gonna fill this void that I feel right and so um, I still don't know to this day if I got fired or if I quit I'm telling the story and I didn't take their call so I say two thumbs up I quit they didn't fire me so uh, but anyway so um, believe it or not that is the best thing that ever happened to me because um, just a couple months prior I had been attending church on the weekend with my friend like it was a cool message, it was a cool church, but I really didn't connect the dots, so to speak. You know, it was like, 
It sounds great on Sunday, but come Monday morning, throw it all in the trash. I have a job that's making my life miserable. And so I connected with the lead pastor. I emailed him. I was like, hey, man, I got questions. I finally got free time on my hands. I've worked like a bajillion hours this year. Like, can I talk to you? And so just through talking to him and counseling, um, he walked me through what the gospel is. And if I was a cartoon character at that point in time, literally the light bulb would have went on above my head. It was like amazing. I couldn't believe the gospel that Jesus came and died for me and that I can be made right with God. It was like amazing to me. And so uh, this is where the story really picks up. It's like rocket fuel was kind of dumped on that spark that was lit. Um, I got baptized two months later. The day after I got baptized, I started taking classes online for biblical studies. Um, I went on to do Christian counseling, got my master's in Christian ministry, all this amazing stuff. But it started right there at that moment with that light bulb going off. And I remember shortly after I was saved, I was mad that I had to go to work because I'd be in the middle of reading my Bible and I'd have like this adrenaline rush. I was like, oh, I, I want to keep flipping the page. Like, what happens next? Like, it was just speaking to me, right? It was consuming me. And that's all great. And it was amazing. But, and here's where I think like our paths maybe intersect is um, we've all maybe had spiritual highs like that, right? Where the Lord is so good. He consumes us. He is what we're passionate about. We give him our time, our attention, all these things. And then, uh, unfortunately, what happens is, well, life. Um, you know, in Solomon's case, um, the women, the money, all these other things became distractions and became idols for him. And maybe in our lives, it's maybe not quite that extreme. Um, maybe it's like a new car we're after, new cell phone, home improvement, our job, living at the beach, right? It's amazing. All these things, our kids' sports, our marriage, our relationships, all these things which are very important. But what happens i believe is is that like solomon who's the wisest man to ever live and still made the mistake is that the gospel somehow gets kind of pushed on the back burner what happens is it becomes this box that we've checked right like man i got saved jesus is amazing i go to church every sunday and we kind of tune out the gospel and and the holiness of who god is and so um, there's a really, really amazing quote. It's short, um, so I'm not going to read long. But um, there's an author and pastor named David Paul Tripp, and he is just amazing. But he has this book um, where he really talks about what he calls is we lose our awe of the gospel, right? Like we know the gospel. We know God's great. We know Jesus. But I'm going to worry about, you know, my car or my relationship or school or whatever it is that we have going on in our life. And so um, here's... What he says, it's almost like a warning, but I feel like a great application to us. He says, danger is afloat when you come to love the idea of the gospel more than the God that the gospel represents and the people that it's meant to set free. So pretty much he says what danger is afloat when we love the idea of the gospel. We're like, yes, God is good, but, but we kind of drift away from him and all these other priorities and all these other idols, whether big or small, no matter what they look like in our lives, they, they somehow work their way to the front burner, and Jesus is a box that's checked that we push back. And so, you know, for me, um, unbeknown, before I got saved, um, that was me. I was like, my relationship, oh, that failed, left me empty. My job, that failed, left me empty. I mean, as ama amazing as the student beach house and all the things that we had before us, literally, we're preaching like 100 yards from the beach, 
all that's amazing, but that is amazing not that much in comparison to the gospel. The reason why we're here, the reason we meet on Sunday, why we do Bible studies isn't because it's a box that we've checked and we just have to get in a stale routine. It's because we should be coming to deepen our walk, to to deepen our walk with Jesus, the God that knows us and loves us. And so my encouragement today is, is in my story, you see how none of the glory goes to me. God took some 24-year-old with a high school diploma and turned his life upside down through the gospel and brought him to you guys to be a youth pastor. Crazy story, right? Um, some weirdo with tattoos and a beard is preaching to the teenagers on Sunday night. Seven years ago, you couldn't have told me that, but after that light bulb went off, you could have told me that every day. And I say, yes, because God is good because of what he did because of Jesus on the cross. And so, um, again, it looks different for all of us in my life. You know, even today, it looks different. Doing ministry can get busy, having kids, having a 10 month old, we can make all the excuses in the world. But really what our takeaway is and what Solomon concluded is that when the gospel is on the back burner or the gospel is a box that's checked, anything else in our lives that becomes more important, Solomon says many times throughout Ecclesiastes, is its vanity. And it's simply just striving after when, and it's never gonna fill that hole that we have or that void we have. So that's my encouragement and my part of my story for you. So let me pray for y'all. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Um, it's hard to quickly share. Um, in a non-50-minute Baptist sermon, um, what you did in my life. It seriously is hard to squish it all together without feeling like I'm, I'm doing the gospel justice or doing what you've done in my life justice, Lord. But we know that you are good. We know that you offer relationship through Jesus, Lord, and we thank you so much for that. And every person in this room, Lord, um, whether it's a, a small, small drift or, Lord, a large idol that they've they've put in front of the gospel, or whether they maybe have just lost their awe of the gospel, Lord. I just pray that we can all examine our own lives, Lord, and just um, really just be in awe of you. Just be consumed by you and who you are, and let your spirit overflow out of us, Lord. So I thank you for the salvation in my life, Lord. I thank you for who you are and the salvation you offer to us. In Jesus' name, amen.